Welcome to Sam's Business Growth Show, where I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We'll be learning their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your own business. Hi, welcome back to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm delighted, honored, and truly excited to have as my guest today, Harry Hugo. Harry is the co-founder at Goat, a leading global company specializing in social media and influencer marketing. Harry set up his first business at the age of 16. Since Harry founded Goat, the company's grown from a team of three to over 120 employees and across four international offices. Um, Harry's also a regular keynote speaker featured at big events such as Integrated Live and the London Affiliate. Harry, how's it going, man? Not bad, mate. Not bad. It's like I've just been saying to you, it's been a busy... Busy start to the year, um, and as always in, in agency world, busy end to the year last year. Um, but yeah, it's good. I'm chilled. I'm sat, sat in my office. People are trickling into the, uh, into the office now. Um, and yeah, it's a lovely day. Lovely day in London. Excellent. Good to hear. And thanks for joining us today. So there's a lot of ground I want to cover, Harry. And yeah, sure. Excellent. And myself and the audience are keen to learn your business growth tips, how digital marketing's helped you and your story, but if we could start from the top, it would be really interesting to learn where you grew up, how you got into the business world, your first steps from kind of leaving school and kind of leading up to the debt to, to the present day, if you could guide us through. Sure, so uh, I grew up in, or well, I was born in Surrey, um, but I hopped around a lot okay. uh, in, my, in my youth. Um, I say youth, very ironically, because I'm still 25. Um, but the the interesting thing about my my childhood was I lived in pubs and restaurants all my all my childhood. So my my oh, parents wow. owned yeah. uh, pubs and restaurants, and uh, I, I suppose I got like a sense of the entrepreneurial spirit whilst I was there. But I certainly got the sense of the social aspect of life there. Um, and at that point, pre-social media, that was how people communicated. Um, they met up there with their friends down the pub, and then that's that's how they formed these social groups and communities based on interests. Okay. Um, and so that was my that was my early childhood. Then I moved to Bournemouth when I was sixteen with my mum, and there I I kind of really evaluated what I wanted to do with my life, um, as every sixteen year old boy does. Kind of like really wanting to be a footballer because that's uh you know that's really what everybody wants to do it seems pretty easy oh awesome um, so you're big into football back then big into football um and i'd got to a decent level but never never really made it to uh to the point where i could ever think about going even close to pro and uh and that was when it kind of dawned on me actually what do i want and the 16 year old me drew up a list of two things, which was I want to be mates with footballers and I want to be able to go to football matches for free. That was it. Um, Sounds like were, a good list. Yeah, they were the two things I really came up with when it came to, um, you know, when it came to actually understanding what I wanted to do in my life. It just it all revolved around football. So I was quite smart in terms of how I was quite a good writer. Okay. Um, with the written word. So I started uh, reaching out to lots of different newspapers, local newspapers. Bournemouth Echo was the, was the main newspaper I reached out to. 
Um, I'd started a small blog, football blog, just writing about football, which was the done thing in 2011. Um, and then I got in touch with Bournemouth Echo saying, look, Bournemouth are in League One. Um, please, can I just come to your your place of work, which is the Bournemouth Stadium, and watch what you do as a sports journalist every day? Because I think I want to be a sports journalist because it, it ticks my two boxes. It ticks being mates with footballers and ticks being able to go to the games for free. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Perfect. It is perfect. Um, and... They got back to me, you know, and, you know, I, I still admire them for getting back to me. I must be one of many. Um, but they just got back and said, unfortunately, you're not 18, so we can't do this because you're not old enough. Oh, man. Okay. And at that point, where I was like, oh, that, that makes absolutely no sense. I'm getting decent traction on my, on my, my personal blog. I can probably write as well as those guys can in terms of football. I know my stuff. Um, so I basically gave them a big F you. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go and do this myself. And I set up a Liverpool blog off the back of understanding that I was on Twitter every single day and I was talking to the same people on Twitter every single day. And I wasn't talking about what I was doing at school or college or whatever, I was talking about Liverpool. I was talking about Liverpool to people who I'd never met and were all the way around the world. But the one thing that was combining us was the fact that we all love Liverpool Football Club. Great team to support, by the way. Great team to support. Doing very well this season. <laughs> Finally smiling. On fire, so, answer. Um, so from that, I actually realised that actually all the people that I was talking to every single day about this one thing, Liverpool, um, all had uh, at that time five to twenty thousand followers on Twitter, which was a lot of followers yeah. back then. Um, and so had huge amount of power over the the audience that they 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 had following them. And so I used that to kind of pull together this super group of influencers, of which they were certainly not called that back in 2011, but um, of influential Liverpool fans on social media to come together and launched this Liverpool website. And we launched and we became number four biggest Liverpool fan site in the world overnight. Um, we drove 150,000 clicks in the first evening. Um, so uh, how, what were the steps to actually creating that, Harry? Was this something that you kind of, the website, was it something you designed and built yourself? Did yeah, you bring yeah. in team so, members from your no, team? I learned how to code, um, basic coding. I I just I'm a doer. I I like just working things out. I like problems. I like having to think about how I can solve them. So my yeah. bloggers were I couldn't build websites, uh, and I didn't really know who else I could trust because I didn't know I didn't know them personally. So I I grew that business alongside my co-founder Dan, who now works at Goat. Okay. Um from being one Liverpool website, which was a group of online mates who'd never met each other, um, to a 50 website network. So wow. we franchised out, well not franchised, but we effectively licensed out um, each website, each club. So we'd build a, a super group of fans from social media into a team for Arsenal, for Norwich, for West Brom, for United, for Chelsea. So we'd have this amazing network of maybe like 10 people who are all very influential on social media 
cool. for their club running their website and we give them all the tools we build the website do everything like that we we take the ad revenue um so we built that team we had 500 writers worldwide we had a bigger bigger writing team than the daily mail at this point i was 18 um and i kind of was ready for my next challenge um so i left dan to yeah so just before we step into that harry so i i guess you're pretty full-on kind of running 50 Last different sites for all these different football clubs or soccer clubs for anyone outside of the UK listening or watching in. Um, and were you monetizing this as well? Were you making, yeah, were you monetizing it. Monetizing it. This is kind of how I how I took my next step, right? So, monetizing it in the most immature, non-commercial, l- limited understanding way that a, a human being probably ever could. But you know, this is the dawn of digital, uh, proper dawn of digital or social media digital. And I was very young and, and had no real desire at this point to make a business. I was, I was still trying to find a leapfrogging way to get myself into sports journalism because that ticked my two boxes. Got it. Um, so then I, then I got offers from universities at 18 um, because of the network I'd created and the, the fame that I'd created in the journalism world. And it, you know, this brand, Fresh Press, became very, very well known in the, in the journalism world in the UK. Um, I got loads of unconditional offers to go to universities for journalism courses. Um, despite my grades having absolutely plummeted because I was building websites and lessons. And the, and the person I credit the most with my, not my life success, but like the, the kickstarter, the ignition to, to that was uh, my sociology teacher, who the year I joined sixth form when I was 16, um, a new rule was put into that sixth form was that you could use your laptop to take notes and uh, do work on in lessons. Um, so after three months of all my other lessons banning me from using my laptop in <laughs> lessons because I wasn't doing the work. And I was a straight A student. Like I was put into the sixth form as a straight A student. Um, all my other teachers banned me from having a laptop. And he kept me behind one day and he was a former BBC journalist. He knew what I wanted to do. And he sat me down and went, I know what you want to do. I know what you want to achieve. I know you're doing really well. And I'm going to give you a lifeline, but you can't, you can't screw me up. Like, you can't let this backfire on me. I'm going to let you have two laptops. I'm going to let you have one to take notes. And I'm going to let you have one to build websites. I went, all right, deal. What shook, a guy. On that, shook on that deal. And I worked so hard for him for 18 months. I recorded every lesson audio on my laptop as well as taking notes so I could go back and, and do it. I was building websites and you know, it sounds mental like, oh, why couldn't you just leave it? I had thousands and thousands of people on, on my website network at any given second across all of the day. Like, it wasn't something I could just leave for seven hours of the day. It's just something that was requiring serious upkeep and upkeep that no one else in the sit form could understand, um, which is fine. But yeah, I, I smashed the sociology and it was the only uh, A-level that I got an A in. Um, everything else I got a D in. So I just didn't care. Um, so I worked hard because he worked hard for me. Um, and that, that was kind of where I, I come back to the commercialization point. Like the immaturity of it was the point where I had no money. I was a 17, 18 year old kid from Bournemouth living in his mum's house. Um, 
spending most of my time in my bedroom doing work. Uh, we'd set up podcasts. We'd, we'd create the same model around influential people and podcasts. And this is okay. 2012. So this is way, way, way before the podcast boom. Um, and we had a podcast for each club. Obviously, I was the the host of the Liverpool one. We had a group of people. And, you know, we're, we're sitting here recording a podcast. I'm recording it with video over Zoom, which is a great innovation. But in 2011, to record a podcast at high-level audio, um, even without video, and ours weren't with video, but to even record a podcast with high-level audio was completely, completely out of the realms of possibility if you wanted to do it over the internet. And on um, a budget, I guess, as well. And on zero pounds, yeah. So we, our competitors all had studios. They'd all meet up. They'd all use like radio equipment. And then they'd create this amazing audio perfect uh, podcast. For us, we were all around, all around, for us, we were all around the world. We, uh, we'd never met each other. We had a differing equipment, depending on where we were. And um, different bandwidth, right? So in terms of making it difficult, very, very hard. And everybody was calling into one thing. So it was like four, four people, one host plus three. And we did one pilot episode and we thought, oh God, this is rubbish. It just sounds rubbish. It sounds like a bad call-in show. Um, so we got in touch with this Skype recorder. Skype is how we did it. Okay. Um, so a Skype audio recorder. And we helped them. Um, rebuild and re-encode um, a higher spec audio recorder and then we were the only people to have it. Nice. So when we launched in January 2012 with our podcast, no, June 2012, sorry, with our podcast, we launched a website in January. Um, June 2012, our podcast, we, we had unlimited access to guests where everyone else had limited because we could choose anyone anywhere at any time. Whereas everyone else had to make sure that they were in a studio with the right equipment. But we could, we could take anybody and it sounded as Because if you had this network built up. We had the network and we had the technology to actually do it. Yeah. Um, which meant that we could make a studio sounding audio podcast without being in a studio. And that revolutionized the podcast game. I, like genuinely globally like i truly believe we were the first people to really take it up a notch now there was people doing skype recording audio podcasts but they just sounded shit this one sounded perfect and uh we got and to prove it we we became the number two podcast in the world um that summer um the only person who denied me of number one podcast in the world was stone cold steve austin Really? <laughs> yeah, he was number one for the entire summer. He just launched this podcast, and uh, and we were number two, and we were bigger. We were bigger than the Guardian. We were bigger than Football Weekly. We were bigger than uh, Sky Sports, BBC, like all of these guys. We blew them completely out of the water. We had forty thousand people listen to our podcast every single week, um, which for back in the day were absolutely ludicrous numbers. And this guy got in touch with me one day and said, "We really want to." advertising your podcast got a lot of people listening um how do you want to do it and i just messaged him back and said well if you cover my hosting costs how much it cost me to to host the 
the podcast on the on the server, I'll I'll do it for that. And that guy's name was Aaron. He was running a company called Sport Lobster. Um, and I gave him the best commercial deal that anyone has ever given anybody before. It's not right? a bad deal, is it? <laughs> it was fifteen pounds a month for access to one hundred and sixty thousand people all month. Um, all listening to long form hour long podcast and off the back of it I, I went and met Aaron saw what he was trying to achieve with Sport Lobster which was a sports social network like the idea fitted what I wanted to do I was coming up to having to make a decision on university or which university I was going to go to and um, it kind of dawned on me that university was only ever going to be a, a fast tracker to a job um, if you know, you had no qualifications. So um, I saw that as an opportunity to jump, skip university and go straight into the workplace. Aaron offered me a job. I was number employee number four or five. I joined on the same day as a guy called Nick Cook. And uh, we grew that business from five people to 70 in two years. We raised $20 million in funding. Uh, we had Ronaldo as our headline ambassador. We wow. Sponsored the NFL, we sponsored the NBA, we had two and a half million active users on our platform. Um, I lived the life of every 18-year-old boy could possibly live um, because I had I had access to every possible sporting occasion at the top, top end. And I had the best seats in the house because everybody would knew that we were the guys with the money and we were willing to spend it in terms of sponsorships and marketing and things like that. So, um, it was great playing with someone else's money. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I had the most amazing, amazing time. And we did very, very well for what we had, but the product was just never good enough. Hypothetically, it should work. You know, there's nowhere on the internet to just talk about sport and built around sport. This hypothetically would have been a, a fantastic solution to that. But reality is we launched at the same time that Facebook was taking on its second surge. Twitter was just on its absolute bull run uh, through sport because that's what it really, really specialized in around the sort of 2012, 2014 mark lead up to the, the Brazil World Cup. Um, and it was just bad timing, bad product, right idea. And off the back of it, we realized that having spent so much money on so many different forms of advertising, that the only one that really returned on investment for us was when we paid my mate from back in the blogging days who had now 100,000 followers, 10 pounds to post on Twitter about our product. He'd generated 2,000 downloads. And then when we paid a lot more money than 10 pounds to Cristiano Ronaldo, who had 120 million followers and is the most followed man on the planet at this point, he also generated 2,000 downloads. And we're like, wow, this is like, gold mine forget Ronaldo forget the hundreds of thousands we're paying him I can find kids in their bedroom who've got followers on social media in communities that care about the product that we're talking about which is sport football clubs whatever and they will post for a fraction fraction of the price um, and they will generate exactly the same return and that was it. Awesome. That was a light bulb moment. We're like, okay, this is this is it. This is the thing. And then we scaled that. We started spending about thirty thousand a month on influencers. We tried to scale that through um, through an agency 
who said they could do what we were doing at scale, which is great. We're like, okay, well, look, if you can, if you can replicate what we're doing and do it in a similar way and grow on top of what we have, then we're laughing. Um, and they attempted it and they delivered 5% of what, what they said they would. And we're like, wow, we're actually the biggest influencer marketing agency in the UK. And we don't even know who we are. <laughs> like, we can actually do this. We can deliver. We know all the data. We know who, who converts at what, what happens when this happens. We know who works in the sports space. And we're like, all right, well, let's leave because this is a better opportunity and it's an opportunity that's now and it works. And if imagine if we weren't getting people to go and sign up to a rubbish product, but instead we're going to get people to buy Coca-Cola. That was it. That was a, that was a light bulb moment. It's like, if I can get two and a half million people to download and, and interact on this rubbish product that we built, this rubbish social network, then imagine if I've got the best products in the world to promote. And that was it. That was the moment where I went, yeah, imagine if we had. Imagine if we had, and in our case now, Fortnite, uh, British Airways, uh, Tesco, BMW, like the clients that we've worked with over the last FIFA, um, over the last few years, has kind of proved that, right? It's like, if you've got a great product, then this is the best form of marketing you could possibly invest in. And that was kind of the light bulb moment. So yeah, a, a, a long story long, that was it. That was amazing. The, that's, that's where that, we are um, as of four years ago. That was when you realized that you could turn this, this way that you were using influencers or people within your network to, to really tap into getting people to go to a product or go to a service. Yeah. And you switched it from football to pretty much anything. Yeah. By the sounds of it. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. And would you say that's thank that's all down to the network that you had built up over the years? Um, no, I don't think it's down to that. I think that was certainly a great starting point for me. Um, understanding exactly how that network effect worked and people being more influential than other people and then realizing that actually this is not a new form of marketing. This has been the form of marketing forever. It's just called word of mouth, but it's just different. It's just word of mouth isn't happening in the pub anymore because less people go to the pub they talk about things that they care about in the moment on the social media or through whatsapp or whatever right it's there's a connection uh, there's a connection between them about certain things and uh and it's instant and that was the that was the moment right where it was like oh this is it this is it we're going to have a, an opportunity here to grow a business that we may never see the like of it again in, in our lifetimes in order to have built that opportunity in front of us. We're like, oh, this is it. And that was it. That was, uh, that was four years ago. We're, yeah, like I said, 120 people worldwide, offices around the world. Um, we didn't raise any money into this business. We, we got burned by that last time. Uh, so we didn't, that wasn't the strategy to go and raise a load of capital and, and deploy it. We grew through profit. Um, we only raised on first load of money in year well at the end of year three so we'd already grown to 100 people by then we'd had three offices so it, it certainly wasn't a growth funding uh it was a kind of support funding going forward okay so yeah it was uh, a lot of hard work but 
right place, right time. We got very lucky. We identified something at exactly the right moment, which allowed us to capitalize and, and grow fast. Definitely. Okay. So, and what was it like, Harry, starting with just four of you, was it, to begin three with? Of us, three of you. And how was it? Was it smooth sailing all the way through? Was it Absolutely a hard craft? It's still not. It's still a complete nightmare. Um, and if anybody's watching this and going, I really plan to start my own business, then 99.999% of the time I say, don't do it. It is not worth it. It's genuinely, it's genuinely not worth it. Um, because the, the, the highs aren't that high and the lows are like fucking low. Um, and I've done this since I was 16, right? So this isn't my first rodeo. I I get I get this. I'm I'm borderline immune from it, and I still find that. So I think one I admire people beyond anything if they've managed to build a business to this size or bigger. Um, if they've done it on their own as a single founder, because there is no way I could do this job or this live this life. I didn't have Alex, not Alex. If I didn't have, well, if I didn't have Alex, Frank and all those in the senior team, but at least I didn't have Aaron and Nick as co-founder. Because uh, I tell you now, there's never been a truer phrase than uh, a problem shared is a problem halved. And I can't think of many things worse than having everything come back down to me. Now, I want to be in control of my own destiny. I want to be in control of everything that goes on and why it's happening. But being able to talk about something before you make action with someone who's in exactly the same situation as you, there's no different differentiation between your alignment. That is so valuable. And it doesn't matter as much as people go, yeah, but you can bring in great people around you. But yeah, you can, of course, and they will act in 95 percent in the in the in the way which makes the most sense for the business but their intentions are not aligned to your intentions they're an employee and that is a very very different mindset they can leave at six and it not be their issue issue to till nine the next morning um so yeah like that's uh I hear you. And is that something you'd recommend to anyone thinking about starting up a business or anyone in business at the moment to have a, a co-founder at the least that you can, like you say, yeah, have well, problems I've with? Never, I've never done this. I've never built a business without a co-founder. Had one when I was 16, had, had one when I was 20, but this one. Uh, and yeah, like I, our business is worth like multi, multi-million dollars. And I would not buy Aaron and Nick's shares outright if they offered them to me for a pound. It is not worth it. It is not, it's just not worth the mental stress. And I love the stress. Like, I'm talking as if this is the worst job in the world. It's not <laughs> amazing. And, you know, it, it, I'm very, very fortunate and grateful to be in the position I'm in, especially at the age I am. And, incredibly grateful to be with the group of people that i'm with but yeah it really does need us to take some moments over the course of the year and go well thank god there's a few of us in the same situation because uh yeah it's not easy 
That makes sense, especially when the problems get big. You want you want people to talk them through. So I, I yeah, appreciate and, that. And there'll be plenty of people who will come on podcasts and go, "Yeah, no, it's great. It was an amazing time." And you know, we get to do this and this, and look how successful we've been. And yeah, and that's all well and good. But if we promote entrepreneurialism too much, and I want it promoted because I want people to try, I want people to think about whether or not they should be their own boss and run their own business. But if we over promote it as a, as a thing and make it the, the factor of success for people's lives running their own business, we're going to screw so many people's lives up because they're just not cut out for it. Um, it does take an unbelievably strong mindset and the pure self-belief that you can fix anything. It will just be okay. Um, and not like as an employee, you can have huge highs. You can get pay rises. You can get um, commissions. You get bonuses. Like all these things are right. Yeah, huge highs. So you don't necessarily expect them. Yeah, when you run the business, you pretty much expect everything, and you can only really go down. So the the highs are, are honestly not that high. Some of my biggest highs here have been because the low was so low so the high felt way higher um example we did a campaign which was focused around one influencer biggest influencer in the world or in my opinion the biggest influencer in the world about a year ago and we'd already done the pr around it where this person was going to be involved um they were going to shoot in three days time all the newspapers had already written about it uh, Brandon spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands on him and uh, he pulled out, called me and he just, I can't do it and that low is the lowest I've ever been and because it, we'd done everything everything had been preparing for that moment in three days time and then two days of talking around and getting him to a point where this is, this is how we're going to go forward and move forward without the client knowing anything was going on in the first place. And then him going, yeah, I'll do it. That is the highest high I've had. I bet. But it's not not positive. <laughs> I was in exactly the same situation. I didn't see it as a high. But because the low was so low, the high became incredibly high. But winning massive deals now and doing amazing things, the highs aren't that high. We're very, we're very bad at celebrating things as a, as a company. And it's something we want to get better at. But yeah, it's... Uh... No, and that's some sound advice for anyone who's thinking about the route of entrepreneurship. That You made some good points about the kind of person you've got to be cut out to be because there are some big lows, but like you say, there's some, some big highs as well. Yeah, and obviously the, uh, the cliche thing is there's a, there's a lot of sacrifice as well. And that, that is true. There is a lot. You know, friends, family... It's not easy. It really isn't. Sleep, as you can see by my yawn, like it's just uh, you know when we're you know when now a global business, um, and there's literally not a minute of the day where uh, over a course of a 24-hour period where there's someone not in a go office, and that is exhausting, exhausting. But that's what I've signed up for, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Like I said, I don't want people listening to this thinking, oh, he's so <laughs> grateful and, um, you know, 
he's, he's fortunate to be in this position. And I, I totally understand I am. I'm just mm. warning people that this is not all it's necessarily cracked up to be. And you can look in from the outside and go, oh, that's amazing. They're, they're doing this, this, and this. And we talk about any company doing this, this, and this. But it's not, it's not as simple as that. As no. in their own relationships and things like that. No, myself and I'm sure the audience, most of the audience anyway, listening or watching will find that quite refreshing that you're not BSing it. You're just giving us an honest overview, which is great, especially yeah. for anyone considering going down this route. All right. So we've covered your story, Harry. We've covered a fair bit about the entrepreneurship route. It would be good to understand some of your tips in terms of digital marketing as we'd like to take that angle on this show in terms of how businesses can actually harness the power of digital marketing to grow their own company. So being a social media-based influence uh, marketing company, I'm guessing social is one of your recommended channels to be on. Well, I think if we look at how the world has changed over the last, we could even argue five years, let's take 10 years, where iPhone and the smartphone in general has completely revolutionized how the world operates, the internet has developed so fast to the point where the world borderline is stands up on its helix because of it. Like nothing, everything closes down. The whole world just had a, a one minute internet shut off at exactly the same time. The world would stop. Nothing would be possible. So that that has changed the world. Um, and because of that, like I said earlier, I made reference to it, the pub or Places of which traditionally people communicate or receive information or uh, talk in groups uh, or get, you know, in my case, advertised to, has completely changed because people's consumption of content and information and conversation has completely changed. So we're naive to think that social isn't the most important channel in the world right now. Um, and if you crack it, there's a huge amount of opportunity opened up for the businesses that do. But we're not saying that social media is everything and you should put 100% of your budget towards social media um, because that's just not true. There's still a huge value in the mix. Um, there's still huge value in TV. There's still huge value in radio. But for brands, and I'm talking on behalf of the biggest brands in the world that we that we work with, for them to be apportioning 70% of their total ad spend in 2020 onto television is basically them think, admitting that they believe that 70% of people's consumption habits are through television. And that is just not true. Everybody knows that. Everybody can see it. They can... They can walk down the street in any city in the world. They can go to any hotel. They can go to anybody's house in the world. And they can see that that is not a true fact. And everybody knows it. They just don't want to change. So the opportunity in social media is that all the big guys aren't moving fast enough to change the habits of what they're trying to achieve through advertising. And they're spending so much money through traditional means that there is a huge gap, even though it's 
you know they're obviously spending money on social and digital there's a huge gap in the in the market right now for someone and brands have you know look at asos look at pretty little thing boohoo in the fast fashion market look at gymshark look at all these businesses that have just completely come from nowhere because they've understood there's a huge gap in the market and if they just double down on something that the others aren't where all the attention is that they've got a chance of breaking through and and yeah my tip is don't get caught up in what others are doing and really think about the psychology and the human consumer behavior and what you're actually doing don't base it off of you because you're a sample of one base it off i walk down the street i look at the tube i look on the train you know it's nuts it's nuts how different that photo looks and i'm sure lots of people listening or watching this have seen the photos like 20 years apart of the tube one is full of newspapers you can't see anyone's faces for newspapers and one has zero newspapers and it's just people looking down at their phone like that <laughs> and yeah that's a change right and to then not think that social media is you know as important if not more important than any other channel just seems completely delusional and naive to me and is that actually true for all, all these brands, Harry, that 70% of a lot of the well-known brands are still pumping their ad spend into TV they, and radio? I think it's more scary than that. I think it's 50% <laughs> to 90%. Wow, okay. It's huge. Yeah. And do it's, you think... It, it's, it's ludicrous. But it's because the people making those decisions um, are 55 to 65 and they don't get it or they're not willing to get it so you've probably got a 10-year window from when the next decision maker proper decision maker goes in and they are 45 when they start the job but they were 35 to now which means i get it that's your window you got five to 10 years before everybody who's in a decision-making place gets this and all that budget will switch like that. And would you say, you referred to some brands like Pretty Little Thing and Gymshark just now. Would yeah. you say, because especially some of their co-founders, especially the founders of Gymshark, quite a young audience, quite young guys, would you say because they're living amongst it, they're living amongst the social media age, that's why they really harnessed it. Whereas some of these old school brands that have been around for years and years, course and i totally agree with that sentiment for our business as well there's no way we could run this business without us all being 40 it just wouldn't work we wouldn't get it we wouldn't stay on top of it we wouldn't care wouldn't be natively or innately completely attached to what we do and because it just is what we do it's just how we behave so yeah i think that my value of being in a company or growing this business has been because I'm 25. But yeah, with example of Ben Francis in uh, a Gymshark, you know, he's 20, my age or a bit older, 26, um, is because, yeah, he's grown a business that he cares about. One is, is on a passion of his, which is the gym and working out fitness. Um, but also he's built it and doubled down on a, on a system and a marketing system, an advertising system that 
is is where the attention is and where people actually care about spending their time and not being focused when they got to 10 million quid to go okay well now's the time because we've got the money to spend it on tv or something else they just doubled and doubled and doubled down it was great brilliant and are there any advice tips of nuggets of advice harry that you could give to anyone that or any business that's not really utilizing social much at the moment on ways that they can get into it or things that they should be doing that will help their business if they're not really active on it so what i'm about to say is going to sound incredibly scary for everybody who's listening i don't believe there's a single person to what i'm gonna say it's gonna sound like comfortable thing to do um but you should film yourself every single day um you should vlog the journey you should document the journey we started blogging 256 working days ago we've vlogged every single day since check it out on youtube or linkedin but that has provided so much value internally for staff reflectively if that's a word i think it is um, but on reflection for us, we can look back as founders and go, oh, yeah, do you remember when we did this? And then we can actually watch what happened and how we did it and our feelings at the time. Um, fantastic for internal communication and, uh, and, and awesome for sales because people actually care and like us, right? We're, we're human beings. And a year ago or 18 months ago, there was a huge switch, huge transition when we realized that brands who were being human, who were reacting to situations, cultural situations, relevant situations on social media in a human way, where it actually felt like the person who was typing the message was the person the brand was, not necessarily just a brand. And you see so many examples of that. Uh, the human brands were winning. They were the ones cutting through the noise. The ones that people actually related to and felt like, oh, they're actually human beings. They're not just a corporate. That's when we kind of triggered and went, well, what if we were just us rather than go? We were just not just Harry, Nick, and Aaron. We were also May, Sam Fowler, Shakira, Matt from the vlog. We were just humans. And then people just want to work with humans rather than companies because companies are scary and they've all after profit and margin and making money from you. Whereas human beings, they just like spending time with people and interacting. So we created a daily vlog of our agency. It's about five to seven minutes every single working day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday it releases. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been the best thing we've ever done. Um, so my, you know, my suggestion is create content. Don't worry about it being great. Don't create it weekly. Don't create it monthly because you'll care so much more about what that content is and what it looks like. Create it daily. And then you'll always never care about last, the last piece of content you created. You'll always care about the next one. That's the beauty of it. I Maybe. literally don't care about yesterday's vlog. I just don't care. I don't care if it was the worst episode we ever put out. All I care about is today's. Whereas if you're sitting on it for a week, you care about the last piece of content you've created for six days until you can care about the next one. I can, all I care about now is the next one. So it doesn't matter. I'm just creating content, building audience. 
Um, Amazing. Okay. Yeah, why not do that? And I love the fact that you've referred back to making it human. So it doesn't really matter if, if the company is startup, small or large corporate, oh, like great. you say. That's, that's the thing that people really want to watch. Our business is one of the least relatable businesses to be doing it. People like people watching this will be like, how on earth is my business interesting? How is my life interesting? I'm telling you now, if you've got a four person business and you're going through growth or you're going through trouble or you're going through pain, that is so much more relatable than a 120 person global agency. People will like that more if you're honest. And our, one of our most successful episodes out of 256, and we've done some amazing things in those 256. We've done, we've had huge client wins that have come in live. We've had all sorts of big things, like they're great. But the one that really sticks in my mind is a nine minute episode where it's just Aaron and I reacting live. Um, like minutes after we just found out we lost quarter million pound pitch and it's just us just talking about not to the camera just to each other and the cameras watching it just talking about you know you win some you lose some and that's shit but you know you know all that genuinely natural stuff and that's yeah it performs so well also we like we're not afraid to take the camera on the golf course. We go and play golf on a Monday. We'll film it, not the golf. Like we're not Tiger Woods, <laughs> but the interaction between human beings in human situations is far more interesting to people and sticks in people's minds than just the office. So yeah, that's that's my advice: is you're never too small, you're never too boring. Um, just get out and create content. And LinkedIn is the place you should be posting it, as businesses as, as people don't put it for a business account put it for your personal account it gets three times the reach um and uh linkedin has a huge opportunity for organic reach and you and it doesn't matter if you just set up your linkedin account today or if you've got twenty thousand followers you can get the same amount of reach and that is ex it's so exciting it's the dawn of social media that is anybody you want anybody so true. you can literally just message the ceo of coca-cola that's it you just message him. So true. And that's how I got you on, Harry. So it works massively well. That, like you say, that's something that's resonated so well across all the episodes and guests that I've had on so far. The power of LinkedIn and the fact that it's growing so rapidly and the small percentage of people that are actually posting content on it is unbelievable. So yeah. there's so much that you can get out of it if you just start being active, just like you say. And it's only going to grow. And it's one of the best platforms, like you mentioned, for organic reach. So anyone listening... Follow Harry's advice in terms of starting up your daily vlog. Get the human element side of your business really showing. And it sounds like you've really reaped the rewards from that, Harry. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's been a, it's been a fantastic journey. And I've learned so much about myself as well. I get to watch myself every single day. <laughs> fantastic. <Sometimes> terrible. <laughs> well, that's part of it. So, all right, we've, we've covered a great deal, Harry. So it's been great to, to learn all this for both myself and everyone listening and watching. Um, so I think we we'll time well, it's time now to to wrap it up. So really appreciate you coming on the show today. No, thank you very much. It's um you've been listening into and watching Sam's Business Growth Show, where we interview business leaders, experts, entrepreneurs from across the globe. We learn their story, how digital marketing's helped them along the way, 
and they provide valuable tips and insights so you can grow your own business. The show is sponsored by webchoiceuk.com, a results-driven digital marketing, web development and application company. So Harry, what I'd like to ask everyone on the show before we finish is if you could thank just one person, dead or alive, for having a positive influence on yourself and your career, who would that be and why? Uh, I think I mentioned it earlier, but my, um, my sociology teacher who let me have two laptops in class and do what I loved at the same time as doing my work and understanding that it's not all about doing the thing in front of you, but doing things around it to make it better. <clears throat> I, uh, I owe him a lot. Um, and I still meet up with him and talk with him, you know, probably once or twice a year. Uh, because I genuinely do owe him a great deal of uh, gratitude uh, because yeah, he, he allowed me to do what I, I needed to do at the time. And then obviously I, I, I thank my mum as well because, you know, understanding that your son is sitting in his bedroom broadcasting to 40,000 people a week through talking about football and walking in with cups of tea, creeping in and putting it down on a coaster so it didn't make any noise when we were recording the podcast. Those things I hold very, very dearly. Um, so yeah, that, that's, those are the two people. But yeah, the, 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 the left field one is my sociology teacher at, at sixth form, uh, Mr. Thompson. What a guy. Sounds like an what amazing man. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, Harry, just before we go, how can people connect with you? What's the best way to get in touch? Um, tell oh, us a little bit more just about me on LinkedIn. Just add me on LinkedIn. It's a great platform and I thoroughly enjoy being there. Um, yeah, I'm just Harry Hugo on LinkedIn and you can watch the daily vlog or watch the daily vlog on the Go Agency YouTube channel. Amazing. Harry, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you very much.